The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks. Lord, I pray that the words that come from my mouth might be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every year at this time, the church focuses on the same thing and much to the disappointment of florists and Hallmark, it's not Mother's Day. In fact, those who put together the little book that tells us what we should be reading each week don't really care about things like Father's Day or Mother's Day. And if you come from other parts of the world, it's not Mother's Day today anyway. So um, the image that we're called to focus on today is Jesus as the Good Shepherd. In mainline churches like ours, we call today Good Shepherd Sunday, which we're encouraged to read the words of Psalm 23 as part of our service and then match it with an appropriate passage from John chapter 10. I've been preaching for a lot of years, and this might surprise you, but this is the first time that I've properly preached on the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is the most popular Bible reading for a funeral service. Interestingly, it's even more popular for people who ask me whether I could do a funeral service that's not very religious. Um, But I do have a a rule um, for funeral services uh, that I don't preach for any longer than two minutes. So while I have used Psalm 23 to uh, inspire just a short reflection, um, I've been saving up all those years of thinking about the detail of Psalm 23 just for you for this morning. So buckle up. I I think the modern Western world in which we live in, uh, that largely has grown up reading uh, this psalm, has romanticised much of the imagery uh, that is in Psalm 23. And which is probably why it's gained such an enduring popularity with those outside the church. Um, When I'm sitting with a funeral family and they ask me um, what Bible reading we should have, I'll say, well, the most popular one is the 23rd Psalm. And sometimes I'll look back at me blankly and then I'll say, the Lord is my shepherd. Ah, I know that one. 
But I think this psalm has developed a meaning or a feeling that's probably more at home in a Bob Marley song. reggae first thing in the morning, did you? Everything's just going to be okay. So if you've ever thought of Psalm 23, just sort of like a big, warm hug from Jesus, then I do apologise in advance for what I might do to what is, I guess, uh, many of your favourite parts of the Bible. In 1996, um, I uh, went to New Zealand um, as part of a world tour of the band that I was in at the time. I say world tour. I was in a Christian band, which I'm still trying to pay off the debt for. Um, And uh, we were invited to play at an Easter camp um, in the Diocese of Waikato um, in Hamilton. And so we were the, the feature musicians for that camp. And we also did a special service, which I think about 60 people came to um, at the cathedral in Hamilton. So that was our world tour. Um, our band, actually, interestingly, and might not interest you at all, was called Ovine Aviation, which means flying sheep. We are from the Church of the Good Shepherd, um, and we felt quite at home in New Zealand <laughs> at that time. But what we did um, after our tour finished was um, some of the boys uh, flew to uh, Christchurch and we hired a car and we drove from Christchurch via Queenstown to Dunedin and back for a bit of a road trip. During that road trip, I saw the greenest grass that I have ever seen. And if you're, I'm sure if you've been to the South Island of New Zealand, you've possibly seen images like this. Green grass with plenty of sheep. I think part of my problem with Psalm 23 has been that when I think of green pastures, this time of my life in my early 20s comes flooding back to me and stopping at the side of the road and just taking in the lushness of the grass that was in front of me. When I think of Psalm 23... I think of God leading me to a place like that with the greenest of the green grasses where I can just have everything I need and everything's going to be all right. And I know I'm not the only one who has this image in my head when I read Psalm 23. If I do a Google image search on Psalm 23, not just the green pastures bit, just Psalm 23, these are the types of images that come up. Beautiful green fields and rolling hills, lush plains. The sun setting in the distance on the green grass. A beautiful lamb just sitting around long grass, never wanting 
to know where its next meal is coming from. Uh, or something like this, besides still waters, those big lakes of water, the problem with this image is that the life of a Middle Eastern shepherd doesn't match those images. For several months, particularly around the summer season, there is very little to no rain in most of Palestine. Even in the rainier months of winter, some areas still struggle to get any more than four to six inches for the whole time. So a shepherd's life is semi-nomadic. Moving around is the norm, trying to find enough food for their flock and enough water. Now, I haven't been blessed enough to make my way to the Holy Land uh, yet. I'm sure there's probably plenty of you who've been to the Holy Land. And I'm told that it is a beautiful place with the landscape being really stark and the the Bible stories coming to life. But one of the things that I've learnt talking to people who've come back from the Holy Land and seeing pictures like this is that you don't find the lush green fields in the Holy Land that you do in New Zealand. You do have some flat, fertile, pastoral land, but that is usually used to grow crops for food. And the only time a shepherd would be allowed to bring their flock into that type of of land was after the harvest had finished so the sheep could clean up the scraps. Most of the land that the shepherds would be using was hilly and it was rocky. And the daily task of looking after a shepherd's sheep required constant attention. It could be really dangerous, not just because of the terrain, but because of the predators. When you think about it, if you're sheep farming in in New Zealand, then all you really need to do is put a fence around your sheep and every now and again check in on them. They've got more than enough food to eat. Just make sure that they're healthy and free of disease and every now and again move them to a different part of the paddock. It's a very different type of shepherding to what our psalmist was thinking about when they wrote this psalm. And to the best of our knowledge, this psalm was written by King David, who was a shepherd. And so the imagery, the types of pictures that I've shown you of the Holy Land, that lifestyle was something that was not only very familiar to David, It's where he lived, and it was how he grew up. Adding to the deep contrast that we can have between the imagery created by this psalm is our sometimes incomplete, dare I might say it, clumsy interpretation from Hebrew into English. What we translate as green pastures 
is better translated in Hebrew as the habitation of tender grass. A shepherd would look for a hillside. And if you look at some of the imagery of shepherding, you'll see these hills and there's these trails all around the hills as the shepherd walks their flock, trying to find tufts of tender grass in between the rocks. That's the habitation of tender grass. In between the rocks, on the side of hills, a mouthful here and a mouthful there. In the Palestinian wilderness, you learn that the shepherd will get you what you need for right now, which is very different to our westernised imagery of all we could ever need. Right here and right now. When we approach Psalm 23 with this kind of lens, I think it takes on a deeper perspective, a stronger impact. I think it's still full of comfort and assurance, but it's not the warm hug type assurance. It's the, I'm struggling, this is hard, I'm being challenged, but I have a shepherd whom I trust who will not leave me. It's that type of assurance. I think one of the reasons why this psalm has also become quite popular uh, for funeral services is because of verse 4, which we traditionally translate as, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you might have been surprised as Bruno was reading that um, version uh, this morning that he didn't use those words. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version translates that as through the darkest valley, which I do think is, uh, I've gone back to the original Hebrew, is closer. The original Hebrew doesn't actually mention death. And by just talking about a darkest valley, it doesn't limit our interpretation of what God can say to us through this psalm to literal death or feeling at a point where you're about to die. Psalm 23 is not just, and many think that it's not at all about, referring to the end of our life and life after death. But instead, the experiences in the course of our lives that are deep and they're dark and they're hard. Psalm 23 is not about avoiding the difficulties and dangers of life. Instead, it's upfront about the reality that we will go through those times. But it presents a way for us to get through them with the shepherd. By viewing the valley of verse 4 in this way, you can see how the rest of the psalm addresses the everyday, even the ordinary experiences of our lives. Green pastures and still waters are not just the promise for us after we die. 
not just for eternal life, but for now. Our soul doesn't have to wait to the other side of the grave to be restored or renewed or refreshed. God offers, in fact, God promises to restore, renew and refresh us as part of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. When it's summertime and the water and the tender grass are hard to find and the shepherd is tired and the sheep are thirsty and hungry and a deep, dark valley lies ahead. These are the times that we know that the shepherd is near. It strikes me that there is possibly food for, us, for the sheep in those dark valleys where it's shadier, where there's less intense heat, where some grass might grow. When we're going through those really dark valleys of our lives, they're the times that we need to know that fear and evil have no ultimate lasting threat. And it's especially in those times that God becomes our shepherd and is with us, ensuring that we lack nothing, adding to our green pasture and still water, and preparing a table with abundant anointing oil. God's goodness and mercy don't stay in some sort of holding pattern until we breathe our last breath. Instead, the psalmist tells us that God's goodness and mercy pursue us, chase after us, actively seeking to engage and refresh our lives. In addition, God's goodness and mercy does this all the days of my life. The psalm comes to an end with a final touch for this message, which I believe is more about life than it is about death. And we traditionally translate this last verse as, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But if you again go back to the Hebrew, you're not getting a Greek lesson today, you're getting a Hebrew lesson today. If you go back to the Hebrew and if you take each word in Hebrew and transliterate it back to English, that sentence is, and I shall return into the house of the Lord for length of days. As we come and go in our lives, as we feel times of deep closeness and connection with God and other times where God seems so far away, God is always present to bring us back into God's presence and away from whatever might seek to separate us. Psalm 23 are powerful words in this Easter season that reinforce that the risen Christ promises not only to greet us 
in the midst and beyond our death, but also to meet us behind the locked doors and the dark valleys of our lives. We do look with eager anticipation to eternal life, but let's not overlook the resurrection life that promises to refresh our souls now. The risen Christ offers daily restoration and refreshment to all who follow him, our good shepherd. I'd like to leave you with a simple but big challenge as I finish this morning. A question to take with you as you leave this morning. Is Jesus our shepherd? I think in life we have and can have many shepherds, people, things. Most of the time it's ourselves that that we rely on, nobody else but ourselves to shepherd us through. The more I looked at this psalm in preparation for this message this morning, the more I realised I'd missed so much depth in its words. So much so that some, maybe some point I'll do a whole sermon series on just Psalm 23. But I just want to leave you with, with a simple look at these words. There's two parts to this psalm. And I think these parts will help us to discern whether we have allowed Jesus to be our shepherd and we have responded to that shepherd love that Jesus offers. There's the actions of the shepherd. I'm just going to walk you through them. They're really simple. They're really obvious. But the more you think about it, if it's anything like my experience, the deeper and more challenging it gets. The shepherd, he makes me. These days we say, nobody makes me do anything. But the shepherd, he makes me. The shepherd, he restores me. Sorry, he leads me. The shepherd, he restores me. And after the shepherd has restored me, the shepherd will lead me some more. The shepherd's rod and staff, which are instruments of both protection and discipline, they comfort. The shepherd prepares. And the shepherd anoints. A sign of honour and a sign of being chosen. When you think about all the things that the shepherd does, the shepherd's hard at work in and through us. But we are called to respond in particular ways to the love and the care of the, of the shepherd. Our response is called to be, I shall not want Our response is called to be, I will actually walk through those hard things.
I will fear no evil. In response to the shepherd, our cup overflows. There's more than enough just for my sustenance, but enough to sustain others. And as a result, goodness and mercy follow after us. And lastly, I shall dwell. Don't know how you're feeling about looking at the psalm this way, but I have to admit that after I did that earlier this week, I just needed some time to confront and confess and to admit that that I've been my own shepherd far more than I've let Jesus be mine. My prayer is as we look at this rich, popular and familiar psalm, we might see the newness that is available for us in a relationship with Christ. We might commit again, or maybe for the first time, to calling Jesus our shepherd. Can I pray? Lord, shepherd, guide, master, be with us this morning as we look at your familiar words. Help us to see the promise that is available to us right now. Help us to see you as our restoration, our hope, and our resurrection. We ask this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand together as we sing Resurrection.